me. Thank you. And some for you. Welcome back to Purder, She Wrote. This is episode six, and we've got our first ever paperback cozy mystery that we'll be reviewing. This was a hands-on experience. Yes. Very tactile. No Kindle. No. Nope. From the page to my face. Yes. Just right into your eyeballs. <laughs> I am Sunshine Lamontry, in case I, you didn't know. And I'm Dana LaCoco. And we are your very happy Cozy Cat Mystery readers here on Purder She Wrote. That's right. If you could take a moment to go on iTunes and rate, review, and or whatever your level of comfort with commitment is, maybe subscribe. That would be pretty clutch. Yeah. Indeed. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to talk about this book. Yeah. Well, can you believe that someone gave us this book? Someone gave us this book. Thank you, Maria. So much. This book evidently was purchased at a Cat Fancier's show somewhere out in Ohio, technically during a work function. Wisely, the publisher identified the overlap between cat fans and cozy mystery fans. And uh, that is how Much Ado About Muffin made its way into our hands and onto our podcast. I have to say, one of my favorite things about Cozy Mysteries in particular is the puntacular titles. Yes. Uh, This is part of the Merry Muffin mystery series, but all of the books in the series are, I mean, their pun game is strong. We've got Much Ado About Muffin. We've had Death of an English Muffin. One of the author's other cozy mysteries is called Freezer, I'll Shoot, a vintage kitchen mystery, Muffin But Murder. I think the newest one in the series is called, like, Maybe Muffin to Fear or Fear Muffin. I love it. Yeah. Also, all of these include recipes. Uh, There were some delicious muffin recipes in the back of this one. That's why we not only have our signature rosé. Yes. Shout out, Dark Horse. Love you. Please endorse our podcast. (laughs) Uh, We also have a batch of delicious muffins that Dana baked for us. Yes. They're not the ones that are from the back of this book because I did not have overripe bananas to make the uh, chocolate walnut muffins. And you're not Christy Teigen. You can't just tweet that you need Uh, overripe bananas and have them delivered. God, I love her. No one Twitters better. (laughs) She is a Twitter expert. Truly. Mm. National treasure. Um, But I did not, and I also have 10 Twitter followers instead of 10 bajillion. So uh, I had lemons and made lemon muffins. So this book, in addition to the muffin recipes, uh, what a cover. Oh my god. Holy smokes. We've got some pretty sweet cover art we're looking at. We've posted a picture on our social channels, but Sunshine, how would you how would you set the scene on this cover? I would say we are definitely in a cozy study. There's an oriental rug. Mm-hmm. Our orange cat stepping lightly out of the the corner, a vintage writing desk with an uh, a platter of muffins and a scattered array of letters. And a very ominous, very sharp-looking letter opener stabbed into one of those muffins. And little do we know that that letter opener will play a pivotal role in this mystery. Yes. 
I mean, I'm sold. This definitely is quite a book. We should also mention that this is the fourth book in the series. We haven't read the first three. But to the author's credit, while we have not read the other Merry Muffin Mysteries, it was still pretty easy to pick up on. Yeah. Sort of. So it, we'll talk about it. We'll get into it. <laughs> so who wrote this book? Oh my Tell gosh. Tell me about Victoria Hamilton. Well, let me start with Victoria Hamilton is not her real name. No? Let's talk about Donna Leah Simpson. Donna. <laughs> she is a kind-looking, maybe, maybe middle-aged, mm-hmm. maybe a little older woman. Uh, she's the national best-selling author of not only the Mary Muffin Mystery Series, but the Vintage Kitchen Mysteries, and she writes under... Uh, another pseudonym. Really? Yes. Amanda Cooper. Oh. And as Amanda Cooper, she writes the Teapot Collector Mysteries. What? Which is no surprise because Donna Leah Simpson is herself a collector of vintage teapots. My God. I feel like I just put on a sweater because that is a cozy fun fact. That is the coziest. That's about as cozy as you can get as a person. I love it. She also wrote uh, Regency romance novels. Ooh. Paranormal romance novels. For a minute, I thought you were going to say paranormal Regency romance novels. and I mean, maybe. I don't want to read anything about that. Actually, I think maybe. I mean, because ghosts are paranormal. Right? Yes. She did write a ghost romance Ooh. that took place in the past. Well, put that on my Kindle wish list. <laughs> so she is a prolific writer. She has done nearly 40 novels and several novellas. And I think she edited together a cozy cookbook, nice. which draws uh, recipes from mm-hmm. best selling cozy mysteries and puts them it. all in one thing. I love it. Yeah. I wonder if she wrote the muffin recipes at the back of this. She also enjoys crafts, cooking, and singing. Uh, Specifically, she enjoys karaoke. My God. Donna, hit us up. Uh, Her favorites are Dionne Warwick tunes. Love it. And Agatha Christie is who originally inspired her to start writing mysteries. Oh, my gosh. I know. And she also loves Jane Austen, so that's where the Regency romance comes in. Totally. Yeah. Oh, and she also blogs at an online blog, because what would an offline blog be? Right, a yeah. Book, a journal. <laughs> a, I a don't newsletter know. that you like FedEx. <laughs> a zine. It would be. It would yeah. be a zine. So, an uh, blog called Killer Characters, Ooh. which are blogs told from the point of view of characters of cozy mysteries. So, for example, our main character, Mary Winter, mm-hmm. would write a blog post. For this. What? Yeah. Man. Yeah. So that's Donna Leah Simpson, a.k.a. Amanda Cooper, a.k.a. our Victoria Hamilton. Well, she sounds amazing and mm-hmm. like she's living her best life of karaoke and cozy mysteries. She is beloved for a reason. Um, I took a look at some Amazon reviews of this book and I must say they were overwhelmingly positive. Really? Let me read to you the harshest review. Okay. Which was only three out of five stars. Oh, wow. A lighthearted mystery. Is that all it says? That's all it says. <laughs> That's all it says. Well, and they don't like lighthearted or they don't like mysteries. But it was still three stars, so I feel like they at least liked it. There was no two star or one star reviews for this book. That Wow. Yeah. Donna Leah Simpson. Just crushing it. 
The people love you. Even the doubters. A five-star review. First time reading from this author by Katie DeBerry on Amazon. And she says, I enjoyed this book very much. I'm a bit hesitant to read story when it has food in the title. This author has changed my view. Wow. Just opening doors for those who might not even like cozy food, baking, she or kitchen move on mysteries. to all sorts of food mysteries. There's so many bakery mysteries. So many cupcake ones. Oh my god. I mean, this lady's life just... Her Kindle list is going to be... I hope she just, has Kindle Unlimited. I hope so, too. Yeah. Many happy days ahead. Then there's Karen Mom of Three. I really enjoy this series because I feel like the struggle is real for main character Mary. And that as she deals with each situation in the series, she grows leaps and bounds. Five out of five stars. All right. I mean, Mary does come up against a lot of obstacles. I mean, I would question how real the struggle is for her because as we'll talk about Mary, she's living a pretty charmed life. Yeah. Uh, but Karen Mom of Three, love the book. And uh, Lisa Kay, she also gave this book five out of five stars. She says, author Victoria Hamilton once again proves that muffin, I mean nothing, can keep her from writing a delicious mystery. I tell you, these puns are a hit. And they've inspired the readers to make their own muffin puns. (laughs) So, yeah, this book is pretty well beloved. And I gotta say, it was an enjoyable read. It was. You read this while abroad. Yes. I took it on vacation when I went to Ireland and spent a good chunk of our evenings uh, reading it at our bed and breakfast, which was an incredibly cozy experience. I was going to say, I feel like that in and of itself is extra cozy. It was wildly cozy. I also purchased a giant wool sweater in Ireland that I wore every day, so literally cozy. Literally cozy. (laughs) But this story, let's see. Where to start? Should we start with our cozy rubric? Yes. Let's break it down according to our cozy principles. All right. Well, the first principle, I would argue, is the town. Mm -hmm. Is Autumnvale, where we set our story, a cozy place? I would say that it definitely has some cozy elements working for it, as well as some sinister ones that contribute to the mystery. We certainly have our share of cozy businesses, such as the antique store and the bakery and the diner slash sort of variety shop. Also, one of the main features of Autumn Vale is Winter Castle, which our protagonist, Mary, has inherited from a relative. Right. Um, Her uncle died. Yes. Uncle Melvin. Who owned a castle. And he willed it to Mary. So that's a pretty big draw of Autumn Vale. And uh, the castle, you know, it sounds pretty cozy for being a castle. It's It's got tapestries. It's surrounded by woods. Yeah. Like, it Fun. sounds kind of big and empty because it's just Mary, her best friend Pish, right. and a uh, surprise guest visitor. Yes. All in all, though, I feel like I'd, I'd argue that as uh, for the cozy character of the town, it's kind of a quirk. I think that fits. There are, as you mentioned, some sinister elements in Autumn Vale. Yes. Some boarded up storefronts. Yes. Mentioned in passing the ramifications of the economic downturn. Not cozy at all. Not cozy at all. No way. There's a bad part of town. There is. In Autumn Vale. Yes. Even though it is a tiny town that does not have a grocery store, there's still a rough part of town. Yeah. It also has a library and a senior citizen's home populated with 
friendly old folks. So that's right. Pretty cozy. It walks the line. It does. Uh, it's certainly better than the neighboring town, Ridley Ridge. Oh my goodness. Which our heroine has to visit a few times, even though that is the antithesis of a cozy town. It is essentially just a flaming dumpster fire. Our protagonist, Mary Winter, describes Ridley Ridge as uh, as being like one of those old western towns you might see in a movie. Yes. Where it appears deserted on the outside, but as you go through it, you get this creeping sense of people peeking from behind curtains and through boarded windows and, and such. It's a bad place. My particular favorite quote, possibly in the entire book, was in regards to Ridley Ridge. Mary talks about their grocery store. Ridley Ridge did have a sad, dim grocery store, but their produce looked like it had come out of a compost bin, and the meat looked like it had been ravaged by wolves. The people there seemed not to know or care about that, and shopped there more often than not. I'd rather forage in the dumpster behind a Whole Foods. Oh, wow. Just I would rather eat out of the trash than behind go, a Whole Foods. Than go to this sad town and its mindless zombie citizens eating their trash food. So, no love for Ridley Ridge. Definitely not as cozy as Autumnvale. We've mentioned Mary, our heroine. I think she's a pretty classic cozy mystery heroine. She must be mid-30s her, somewhere. Her age is mysterious. It's never explicitly mentioned. But initially I thought she was older because a lot of her friends are like in their 60s. But then she's she's just friends with everyone. Everyone wants to be her friend. I think she forces everyone to be her friend. Yes. Whether they want it or not. Um, She's very outgoing. Yes. Uh, which I guess is a good trait if you are a former stylist slash plus-size model, yeah, which she is. Married previously to a fashion photographer. Yes. Out of Italy. She's lived a very cosmopolitan and exciting life and uh, has since acquired, or rather inherited, this castle. That's what brought her to Autumn Vale. So she's kind of shaken things up in this small town. But they've welcomed her they with did, open yes. arms. And I think Mary, most of them. for the most part tried to kind of ingratiate herself with the townspeople of Autumn Vale through her somewhat questionable and occasionally abrasive nosiness. Granted, it's that same nosiness that enables her to have solved three murders so far, but holy smokes, like, she is up in everyone's business all the time. And if anyone is like, well, Mary, this is kind of personal. She's like, what? Like, yeah. I thought we were friends. I thought, you know, you can trust me. Right. Like, I'm here for you, and I only want the best for you. Tell me your business. Which, while coming from a genuine place of love, is a little extra. Personally, I would not have dealt with that. She doesn't do great with boundaries. Yeah. But... She has solved four murder mysteries. That's right. And she does seem to make friends. Yes. And she also has, like, I suppose this really incredible generosity. When she comes back from Italy, mm-hmm. where her husband, who died yes, some, like, eight years back. Right. His mother is now dying mm-hmm. in Italy. And she goes to Italy to, like... Kind of make peace. Yeah. Yeah. 
be by her side while she dies, which, right. you know, everyone everyone has their own way. Yeah. But she comes back. And she was missed. The townspeople were like, whoa, you were gone for two months. I'm a little hurt. You didn't call me every day. We missed your presence here. Yeah. Our town was not the same. It was boring because there was no one to be abrasively nosy. Yes, exactly. I kept my business to myself and I just, I don't know if I liked that. I would say Mary's other character flaws, well, she's resourceful in the sense that she can really wheedle information out of people to the point that she can figure out murders uh, she's not really resourceful with her finances because while she has inherited this castle, she doesn't really have a plan to maintain it. She's got property taxes, you guys. Yeah. On a castle? That's a lot of taxes. Yeah. I would, I could only imagine. I mean. Despite the looming bills, she never actually goes and gets a job. She loves to bake muffins for people. But it seems like she doesn't charge anyone for her muffins. She just gives them away for free. Yeah. Which I feel like that right there, I mean, even if you charged a nominal fee, you'd at least, you know, be one step closer to solving the problem of your looming tax bills. Grocery money, at least. Right. Not to mention that she brings back a lot of designer clothes from her time abroad. And she's like, I don't know where I'm going to wear these. And it's like, eBay. Sell it. Yeah. You got those clothes for free. You could make like a million percent profit. Right. So, I don't know. Great at solving murders. Not so great at personal finance. (laughs) She also comes back from Italy and it seems as though her best friend, Pish, who I don't know what he does. He seems like a socialite, kind of. I got the sense that maybe he was retired. I think he was a little older. Okay. Like, had some sort of job in... The theater. Yeah. Uh, while she was away, he took the liberty of inviting, like, a disgraced opera singer. Yes. She had threatened the composer. The conductor. conductor. Yeah. There we go. She had threatened to kill him, and they were like, you can't work <laughs> yeah, here. You can't do that. That's a hostile work environment. So that's a certain Miss Roma Toscano that is staying in the castle, also rent-free, which Mary's like, she's less bothered about the fact that someone's staying in her home without her permission and more upset that she's like, what if Pish is better friends with her than he is with me? I was gone for two months and now he's replaced me. Right, with an opera diva that collects vintage letter openers and brought her entire collection to stay in my castle yes and floats around the castle and her lingerie when my gentleman friend is over yeah at least put some clothes on yeah she was almost always in her lingerie yeah i love that one of the main like sub stories happening in this novel was that Pish wanted to make Roma famous again. Yes. To get her back in the opera scene. And he's like, we have to record you singing and put it on YouTube. YouTube, man. We're going to make you go viral. Nothing goes viral like opera. <laughs> it's a foolproof plan. Yeah. And in the end, they get a 16-year-old girl to take some pictures of Roma in the woods. Yep. They've and got uh, some local local dudes record and edit her singing. 
And uh, she does, in fact, go viral. Yeah. They throw it up on the interwebs and... Boom. Bam. That's how it happens. Famous. Yep. You know, we've mentioned it with Pish and Roma a bit, but Autumn Vale really nails the third cozy mystery rubric in the fact that it is populated only by eccentric, crazy people. And this particular mystery has an enormous cast of secondary characters. If you could see the whiteboard we have in the room where we record, we have at least 20 names written up there, all of minor characters. All introduced within the first two, maybe three chapters. And to the author's credit, who all have enough development and backstory to not just blend together. Mostly. But it's it's a little bit like a beautiful mind with this web of people we have up and like who's going where and who says what. I yeah. mean, we truly got to know everyone in this small town. Very well. Um, and I think that is another credit to our plucky heroine's abrasive nosiness. Yes. She knows everyone and knows everyone's backstory. She has made it a point to get to know everyone and get to know their life stories. She's that person them to memory. that sits next to you at the airport and is like, so where are you from? What's your mother like? Oh my God. She would absolutely talk your ear off on a plane. Yeah. If we had to pick five of these people to give an overview of. Well, I think we have to talk about the other cozy rubric. Good old standby is law enforcement. The typically bumbling law enforcement trope that pops up in most cozies. I would say he's pretty competent in this cozy mystery, though. Yeah, I I would say this one kind of subverts that in the sense that our sheriff in the story, Virgil Grace, is actually good at his job. He's really good at his job, and he's about to apply to join the FBI uh, and maybe go to Quantico. Virgil Grace, sheriff of Autumn Vale, is also Mary's gentleman caller. That's right. They have not established whether or not they're a couple because she's sort of jetted off overseas, but they've kind of they've sort of been circling each other the previous three books. It sounds like. Yeah. So chapter one opens with, "Who boy, I had forgotten how good looking Virgil Grace is. Six feet something of dark haired, dark eyed, steel jawed man." Two plus months without my muffins, and I don't mean that as a euphemism, the man loves my baking, had worked off the slight thickening at his waist, and his jawline was now as chiseled as granite, his cheekbones razor sharp, his dark eyes shadowed. That's the opening. That's our introduction to Virgil Grace. I also imagined he had a mustache. Oh, yes. Like um, like a Burt Reynolds kind yes. of mustache. Yep. That sounds right. So, so there's Pish, who is Mary's best guy friend. Slash roommate. Slash roommate. Yes. But her best girlfriend, who she's known forever, is Shiloh. And Shiloh was like a wispy teenage model. I think that's how they met yeah. when they were both models in New York. Um, Somehow Shiloh lives in Autumn Vale, too, because... I I think she followed Mary out there. Oh, okay. I didn't quite pick up on that, other than she married someone that happened to live in Autumn Vale. So, this is one of my least favorite tropes for description. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mary describes her as, like, a delicate gypsy child. Oh, God. 
She was as fragile as a dandelion. One puff and she'd shatter. Fragile and yet so incredibly strong in other ways. She must be strong, I often thought, because there was clearly something in her life that had wounded her, and yet she had kept going. Just that idea of like, ooh, this baby delicate, yes. fragile little flower. You poor thing. Oh no. How, how have You're you? so beautiful. How have you maintained? And yet, anything could break you. Yes. I feel like Mary has several friends that she views as fragile, delicate flowers. Her friend Hannah, who is a librarian, uses a wheelchair, which Mary also sees as a mark of both incredible strength and also intense fragility. And it's kind of like, come on, Mary. Yeah, she often describes Hannah as like like paperish. Yeah. Or bird-like. Yeah. Which seems to to downplay that Hannah's just another person. Right, yeah. The same way that Shiloh is. It's like this incredible, intense romanticization of just a person. Yeah. It's not the best. It's, yeah. I would say that would that was um, maybe a drawback yeah. in the, the strength of the writing. A little bit. Tiny bit. We also, in our cozy rubric uh not that this is a major character but in a departure from what we've read typically this was not a true cozy cat mystery Mm. while mary does have a cat uh who's featured on the cover that's beckett he doesn't actually show up until page 111 because while she went abroad she was like hey pish can you watch my cat he's an indoor outdoor cat And Pish was like, yeah, sure. But the cat just sort of chilled out in the woods for two months. In explaining it, Mary's like, I know Pish doesn't like animals all that much. Yeah. So it's no surprise that Beckett went and stayed in the woods for two months while I was gone. Right. His wild nature. He just had to go out there and catch some mice and sleep outdoors. And I was kind of like, Mary, come on. You're not a good cat, Mom. You aren't. You gotta keep him inside. Or at least get someone who brings him in every night. He could be eaten by a coyote. Right. Or a hawk. He might end up in Ridley Ridge (laughs) in the scary grocery store. Oh, no. That would be terrible. What if he doesn't know to eat out of the dumpster at Whole Foods? (laughs) Oh, How would he know he's a cat? Ugh. Yeah, so... Beckett does not help solve any crimes. He does not help solve the crime. He doesn't talk. He doesn't have magic powers. It's a bummer. He's just a regular cat. Yeah. He eventually does come back to live in the castle and becomes an indoor cat. Really about the extent of the cat. She does have this sort of laissez-faire approach to cat parenting. Yeah. She's like, "Eh, you're here. That's cool. You're gone. You'll come back eventually. Or you'll get eaten. Sunrise, sunset. (laughs) And I think lastly in our cozy rubric is this uh, element where the killer is introduced at the last moment in a dramatic scene. We, uh, I feel like this book was a little more deft in its handling of who the killer was compared to other ones we read. There was at least some motivation. Yes. But because we have like... 20 names of characters on the board, there were a lot of suspects. Essentially, the murder went something like this. Mary Winter discovers 
the body of Minnie Urquhart, who is just this mean postal worker who didn't like her. She's like, eh, she's Minnie an ad- didn't like anyone. No, she was like a crabby, mean post office lady who, like, stole people's checks out of their birthday cards and, like, liked to pick fights. And who, I might point out, was from Ridley Ridge originally. That's right. Anyway, this lady turns up dead in the post office, and she is stabbed with a vintage letter opener. And if you recall, uh, disgraced opera diva Roma Toscano collects vintage letter openers and had some bad blood with Minnie. So, naturally, everyone thinks that she's the killer. But Mary's not so sure. Mary has a few questions that she has to get up in everyone's face to ask before she can condemn Roma Toscano and her handy letter opener. And while the FBI and Virgil Grace tend to think, seems like like there's only one person in this town that collects vintage letter openers, uh, Mary's not so sure and... I mean, she should probably just work for the FBI because she just straight up comes out and asks people, like, where were you yesterday? Were you driving? Did you get in a car accident? Like, why is your car broken? Did you try and run someone off the road? Oh, did you, like, Minnie Urquhart, the postal service woman, did she steal your mail before? I mean, it's she's really yeah. just straight she's up, She's not like, subtle in her questioning. Not even a little bit. Be like, did you have a fight with her? What yeah. was the fight about? Right. Where, where did you go afterward? Yeah. You would think that would be a terrible way to hunt down a killer. It's wildly effective. <laughs> I mean, she's she's already caught three murderers. She catches her fourth in this one. and uh, She just bullies them yeah, she's into just, telling the truth. She's persistent. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that the killer comes out of left field, but we've kind of hinted at it before. With 20 different characters... There's a lot of threads running through this book that eventually get resolved, but we didn't even mention the fact that this book kind of has a cult in it. Oh, positivity cult. Yeah. So one of these characters moved into town while Mary was away. So in the past two months, Crystal Rouse comes to Autumn Vale and she starts brainwashing people. Starts to really shake things up. Yeah. She claims that she's part of a movement called Consciousness Calling. Uh, that's all about manifesting what you want in the universe. Right. Much like the secret. Right. It's not, it's not entirely practical, I would say, because her philosophy is that you could say, I want a helicopter. And then the universe is going to bring you a helicopter, yep. which is not actually how, like, manifesting your future works. No. No, you can't just, like, cut out a picture of a yacht from a magazine and put it on a vision board and be like, that yacht's coming any day now. Tomorrow. Get your flip-flops, because <laughs> my yacht's coming in. And so this uh, this organization? Yeah, I think so. Uh, consciousness Calling is originally out of San Diego. Mm. A lot of weird stuff going on there. Yeah. Mary is not so sure about all this because her friend Emerald yes. uh, is being taken in by this crystal. She's fully under the delusion that she is going to have a yacht and that she's going to be a millionaire franchise owner of her very own consciousness calling studio. And she's going to become, like, a guru, but also be a millionaire. 
and you know she might be working in a crummy bar in Ridley Ridge now, but her her destiny is going to come in as long as she uh, she visualizes it, visualizes it, and also writes Crystal Rouse checks. Yeah, it's a scam. It's both those things. Yeah, I guess it's less a cult and more of like just a straight up scam. Well, I mean, aren't most cults scams? Yes, yes, they that, are. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's yeah. like, hey. Adopt this ideology and also give me all your money. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this also had some Scientology flavors because the whole thing was like, Crystal sucks people in because you chant and get in the zone and then you talk about all of your mistakes that you've made in your life. And right, then you, you get... You start to visualize your positive life, but first you have to admit your mistakes. So You get on this like massage table... And they hypnotize you into telling all your, like, deep and dark secrets. Yeah. To, like, clear your aura or whatever. So a little bit bit of Scientology, a little bit of the secret. Ultimately, Mary figures this out, and she She writes or calls San Diego, and she's like, hey, do you guys know Crystal? Yeah, she's using your logo, possibly without permission. And San Diego's like, yeah, we didn't give her permission. Yeah. She's not paying us dues. No. She's no. outside of the inside cult. Watch out for the scores of this copyright laws, because they're coming for you. <laughs> it is copyright law that ultimately undoes Crystal Rouse. It's very true, yes. And her scam is revealed for what it is, a scam. In a very dramatic meeting yes at the consciousness calling group where there's like fbi agents in the crowd yeah they've like planted an fbi agent they they the killer is unmasked in a very dramatic fashion at this meeting of this positivity cult i think it's like a consciousness clearing meeting or something they're gonna like they're all gonna sit in a circle and like chant affirmations and write checks for like three hundred dollars to crystal and yeah but mary's like i don't i don't think so i got some questions for you (laughs) it's me mary winter heiress of winter castle and noted busybody like she lays it down Mm -hmm. she she lets everyone know i think it's interesting the killer turns out to be brianna yes and brianna is a math head from Ridley Ridge. Brianna is a meth head. So you can see that we went real left of Cozy. <laughs> yep. Like. I think this is definitely the first Cozy mystery that has meth in it. Um, oh, while we're talking about meth, yeah. can you tell me about the friendly drug dealer of Ridley Ridge? Yes. Mary's investigation does take her into the spider's web itself that is Ridley Ridge. Because she's heard that this Brianna character, who is a boarder in our murder victim's home, uh, has purchased drugs. So she's like, I'm going to find this drug dealer and ask him myself what her deal is. Which is, like, stupid dangerous. But my mentor's like, no, I am, you know. That's just how I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk right up and be like, hey, do you sell drugs? Yeah, hey, do you sell drugs? And that is essentially what she does. She goes to the one diner in Ridley Ridge, and she's like, I knew a waitress that worked there who was pretty nice. And it turns out her waitress friend, like, moved out, so good for her. Went to college. Yeah. Got out of town. But she asks the other waitress, like, oh, do you know any drug dealers? And the waitress is like, you bet I do. There's one sitting at the table right there. That's cash. Dun, dun, dun. 
And Mary just like slides right into the booth and she's like, are you cash? Do you sell drugs? You know, what's going on? And And most drug dealers would be like, whoa, lady, first of all. (laughs) Right. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't. I, I wouldn't do that. That's illegal, and police? I don't want to go to jail. You're really bad undercover police are if you, you are. York? Is this like 21 Jump Street? What's happening? But Cash is cool. He's very cool. You know, he, he admits to Mary that uh, this uh, boarder came to him and uh, asked if he could sell her some medicinal herbs. You know, he told her, I don't do that sort of thing anymore. Quote, she says, well, what about something stronger? Cash shook his head. She was bullheaded. Wouldn't take no for an answer. Ask me if I sold meth or knew someone who did. Meth? Whatever I was expecting, it wasn't that. I know. What the hell? He said, his lean face drawn with an offended look, like he'd smelled something putrid. I don't deal in that crap. No way was she a meth head, so I figured she was looking to bust whoever sells. It ain't me, I said. And that was that. Yeah. So he's just this super chill dude who's wildly offended by meth. Right. He's like, how dare you think that I sell meth? I simply sell pot. (laughs) Simply sell medicinal herbs. Medicinal herbs, mind you. He also escorts Mary to her car afterwards and is like, watch out. That guy across the street is actually the guy that sells meth. So watch out for him. He's bad news. Thanks for stopping by the diner. And I uh, hope you come back sometime. And if you ever need a little pot, yeah, you know, just let me know. Call me, Cash, the friendly drug dealer. <laughs> like, uh, that is a wild encounter. It, yes, it is. It is wild. Oh my gosh. There's also another non law enforcement law enforcer in town, the PI, Dwayne. Yes. Who originally pretended. To date Minnie. My God, this book even had catfishing in it. Slain uh, postal worker. Yes. All in an attempt to catch her stealing mail. Yes, which is a federal offense because she was like stealing checks and money out of people's birthday cards and bills and stuff. Even if you just open someone's mail and read it. Yeah. Federal offense. Yeah. And she was pretty brazen in it too because she would brag about it to other. She kept trophies. She was like a serial male offender. I mean, she was a bad lady, but didn't deserve to get murdered. She definitely didn't deserve to get stabbed by her secret granddaughter and her secret granddaughter's boyfriend. Who turns out Brianna was her secret granddaughter, who was hopped up on meth, who rented a room from her grandmother, discovered that her grandmother willed her house to her... And then decided to murder her grandmother for the inheritance. Yeah. Because meth. Because meth. I don't think, well, I know for sure that not any of the cozy mysteries that we've read before have had the logic because meth. (laughs) True. We've had because cults. Now we have because meth. (sighs) My God, this book had meth, a cult, catfishing, it had gypsies. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. What else did we have? We had a bunch of senior citizens that just died of old age. Oh, my God. There was, Economic like, um, downturn. child abuse because Shiloh's right. backstory yes, was that she had, she had like, been beaten by her father who tried to marry her to her first cousin. Right. He was like, we're going to go to Virginia because yeah, it's legal there. Marry your cousin. My God. Like, this, this was a pretty... 
this cozy mystery was pretty sorted, pretty gritty. Yeah, yeah. This is like of what we've read. This is like the Game of Thrones of cozy when you mysteries. go into a book called Much Ado About Muffin. You don't expect meth. You really don't. <laughs> <laughs> not even a, not even a little bit. <laughs> I have to say that threw me for a loop. It did. I mean, I found it all fascinating. Yes. But really unexpected. Very much so. I mean, the book does have a happy ending in the sense that the killer is brought to justice. Roma Toscano gains viral fame as an opera singer and moves out of the castle. Thank goodness. Takes her lingerie with her. Yes. Speaking of the ending of this book, this is the second book we've ended with like a surprise marriage proposal. And what is left? What makes it especially surprising is that they are not dating. This is the second marriage proposal that came from a couple that wasn't dating that was like, sure, great, let's get married. He was like, you know what? I just think that you're the lady for me. And I know that we're not even officially girlfriend and boyfriend. We've never lived together. Right. We don't know each other's finances or medical history. This this is Sheriff Virgil Grace and Mary Winter. I mean, it sounds like they might have hooked up in a previous book. Sounds like they rolled around in the field. Which, like, man, this this cozy mystery series is, yeah. Kind of rated PG-13 for that. But that was really, like, their only romantic encounter. And other than a few, like, quick kisses here and there throughout the book, you would not think that he would propose to her at the end. But he did. He's like, I'm not even going to join the FBI. I just want to marry you. Not only. (laughs) Not only is he not going to join the FBI and go to Quantico. He's also not running for sheriff again. Oh, that's He's opening his own PI business. With his friend, Dwayne, who he hired to catfish... Mini. Mini Urquhart. What? Wow. <laughs> what a book. What a book. That is a lot to happen in uh, 291 pages. Actually, 296 pages if you count the two muffin recipes at the end. Which I certainly do. I can see why Victoria Hamilton has such a dedicated following. Yeah. What a ride. It was intense. Amazing. Yes. My only complaint was that there were some times when... I wanted to just cut a paragraph out. Oh my gosh. Yes. When I was like, okay, Miss Hamilton, pull back on your writer reins. Yes. I know that you have a strong command of language, mm-hmm. but I do not need to know that they're going to go to Charlotte Roos first at the mall. Yep. And then stop by Ashley Stewart, and then maybe they'll go to Sears. And of course, they have to stop by Barnes Noble on the way home. Yeah. In chapter. Cut that out. There could have been a little heavier editing hand. I think her editor failed her. I think so. Whoever was over there at Penguin Random House was like, I'm too tired. So this is probably like the first actual published one that's not self-published that we've read. Yeah. There is a big difference in terms of like story structure and command Mm. of language. I think that it must have been story structure where the editor focused. I think so. Because I feel like you could cut 100 pages out of this. Just of extraneous detail. True. Uh, And maybe slim down a couple characters Mm -hmm. uh, and have an even stronger book. I would agree. Although, to play the devil's advocate, for not reading the first three books, I feel like I have a pretty good working understanding 
of every single person in Autumn Vale picking up the fourth book alone. That's and true. All the That's true. But did we need to know every single person in Autumn Vale to Absolutely get not. the gist of the story? No. We yeah. just needed Cash the Friendly Drug Dealer. That's all we needed. Just and Cash. Overall, I would say, like, a really enjoyable read. Yes. Um, despite editing woes. Yes. I mean, if we were able to keep track of 20 characters in this and couldn't keep track of, like, eight in the uh, Wonder Cats. Oh, I mean, boy. it really, writing books is not easy. No. Understatement of the century. <laughs> but good job, Victoria Hamilton slash Amanda Cooper slash Donna Leah Simpson. Yep. Definitely jump into a Mary Muffin mystery. Yeah. If you dare. I'd recommend it. Might be sorted. Watch out for math. Thanks for joining us, guys. Yes. We will resume our regular bi-weekly schedule. So we'll see you in two weeks. Yep. In the meantime, rate, review, and subscribe. Yes. We love you, kittens. Bye. Bye. Bye.